Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, the stock markets managed to finish a very volatile week, slightly positive. The Dow Jones down just 256 points today. It paired a loss of better than 800 points in the last hour. So we saw a very significant rally. And that's the reason that we were positive on the week, uh, that last rally. I think that rally was ignited by some short covering. We had some comments made by a couple of Fed guys Uh, just as the last hour kicked off about the Fed uh, doing all that it can and being prepared to use its tools to help the economy. And I think everybody knew that that was coming. In fact, uh, the markets have already priced in more than a 50 basis point rate cut from the Fed. They're expecting at least 50 by the March meeting, if not sooner. Uh, But I think those comments might have caused some of the shorts to cover. Uh, So that... uh, pushed us positive on the week. Other index were also positive, but they were weaker today. The S&P 500 was down 1.7% on the day. That's with the big rally. NASDAQ down 1.9%. And the weakest index was the Russell 2000 down an even 2% on the day. You know, that index is now down almost 16% on the year and it's not quite in bear market territory although earlier today it was down 17 and a half percent so getting very close in fact that index is at a new low Uh, both the russell 2000 and the nasdaq today made new lows for this entire move Uh, but the dow jones and the s p did not quite take out the lows from that big reversal day where we were down a thousand and closed you know only down 200 uh, but the Russell 2000 and the NASDAQ uh, look pretty particularly ugly on the charts because they, uh, they took out those lows. You know, it's interesting. If you look at the Russell 2000, and I've been talking about this uh, for quite some time because this index is more representative 
of the U.S. economy because it's really these small cap domestic companies. It doesn't have the big multinationals. So it's really a pure play on the U.S. economy. And I remember when Trump was elected, there were a lot of people that were saying, yeah, you got to buy the Nasdaq. I remember Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank. He was saying, I'm buying the Russell. That's my Trump trade. Uh, The Russell, it's just focusing on America and we're going to make America great again. You know, Trump has been president for over three years and the Russell 2000 is up less than 6% during that time. Now, I know it was up a little bit uh, when he won, but if you just go back to when he started his presidency, you're not even up 2% a year on the Russell 2000. So for a president that wants to brag about how great the stock market is doing under his stewardship, when you're talking about all these small companies in the United States, publicly traded companies, if these stocks are up less than 2% a year, and it's not like these guys are paying big dividends, they're not. Uh, So that's a pathetic gain. I mean, that's not even equal to the rate of inflation. Even the official government rate of inflation is more than 2% a year. And the Russell 2000 hasn't even met 2%. In fact, I'm reasonably confident that by the time Donald Trump finishes his term, and I I don't think he's going to have a second term. I mean, it's possible, but I doubt it. Uh, But by the time he finishes this term, I'm pretty confident that the Russell 2000 will have lost value during his presidency. So, so much for uh, Trump's claim to be a a big stock market president. Uh, The real driver, obviously, behind any of the gains thus far has been the Fed. The Fed's the only reason that we had a positive week. I mean, not only did they save the week today, but they saved the week earlier uh, by coming to the rescue with a 50 basis point intermeeting emergency rate cut. But, you know, if you look at the recovery in the market, it's certainly not justified by any of the fundamentals. There was no recovery in the yield on the Treasury. The 10-year Treasury barely closed above 0.7%. We got down to 0.66, I think is the low that I saw, and we closed just above 0.7. This is, I think, the biggest move in one day in the bond market since the financial crisis. Right. So really, those yields got killed on the 30 year. The yield is all the way down to one point two one five one point two. I mean, how far below the rate of inflation is that? I mean, these yields are crazy. Uh, And, you know, one of the interesting things that nobody is really talking about is how low these yields are relative to other yields around the world on sovereign debt. Now, I know if you look at the other sovereign debt, you'll see a lot of uh, major economies where the 10-year government bonds are yielding less than 1%. You know, you find that in in a lot of places in Europe and in Australia and the UK. And in Germany, you actually have 10-year bunds that have negative nominal yields. That's how crazy that is. And so you may think, well, you know, the U.S. still has a higher yield than many of those countries at 0.7, right? That's still higher uh, than in other countries. But it's not really higher when you factor in the cost of hedging the currency. Because you have to remember that the United States is the world's largest debtor nation. And we have record high trade deficits and record high budget deficits that need to be financed. And Americans are not a nation of savers, right? We have a, a dearth of savings. We don't have enough. And therefore, we have to finance our deficits by borrowing from abroad. 
And so we have to, you know, reward foreign creditors for lending us money. Historically, the yields on U.S. Treasuries have been higher than yields on sovereigns of other, you know, quality countries like Germany, like Japan, like Switzerland. And so we've been able to entice foreigners to lend us money by offering them a higher yield on sovereign credit. Now, of course, if those uh, foreign lenders don't want to be currency speculators, they have to hedge the currency risk. Because if you're living in Europe and all of your costs are in euros uh, and you're a euro-based investor, if you're buying U.S. treasuries, if you're doing it as a safe investment, if it's a safe haven, well, you have to hedge the currency risk because if you're gambling on what the dollar may do relative to the euro, uh, it wouldn't be considered a, a safe investment. It would be more speculative. And you know, especially if you're talking about a low yield, if you're gonna get just a 2% or a 3% yield, you're certainly not gonna risk a 10% move down in the dollar which would wipe out four or five years of interest payments. So you have to be able to hedge the currency. Well, the problem is the yields on U.S. Treasury 10 years are now so low that it is impossible for anybody anywhere in the world to lend us money by buying treasuries and then hedge out the currency risk. Because by the time you subtract the cost of hedging from the pathetically low yield, you end up with a negative number. And so there is no way for these creditor nations to loan their surplus savings to the United States and still get a positive yield. They might as well just settle for their, the negative yields they have in their own country rather than getting an even more negative yield by lending to the United States. And if you look at what happened to the US dollar index again today, it was down. In fact, we closed well off the lows. At one point we were down, I think more than a full percentage point. We ended up down about 73 basis points. We closed at 96 spot 09. But we spent a good portion of the day with a 95 handle on the dollar index, uh, the strongest currencies being the Swiss franc and the Japanese yen. Uh, but the dollar continues to weaken. And this is in sharp contrast to what happened in 2008 when we were getting big moves down in the stock market and U.S. bond market was rising. The dollar was also rising. That's not what's happening. The dollar is falling. Gold continues to rise as well. Remember, gold was selling off in 2008. It didn't go down as much as the stock market, but it went down. And gold is not going down. We got back up to 1690 again today, we, you know, which basically is a bit of a double top, which I think we're going to take out on Monday. Uh, but obviously, there's some resistance up there at 1690. We opened at about 1690. And then after we got the jobs report, which I'm gonna to get to in a little bit, but was pretty much of a non-event uh, because uh, it's a sideshow at the moment. But after the jobs numbers came out stronger than expected, we did get a sell-off in the price of gold. I mean, gold dropped maybe 20, 30 bucks, uh, but then gradually rallied back and probably within a half hour of the close was all the way back up to the highs, up about you know 15 bucks again, right below 1690. And then we sold off again into the close as the stock market uh, rallied, but we still ended up positive a couple of bucks. We closed the day and the week at about 16.74, up about $2 
per ounce. But you know, the gold stocks got slammed again today. Uh, the GDX, despite the positive close in gold, the GDX was down 1.37%. And the GDXJ, the juniors, down even more, 1.9%. So actually a little worse than the S&P, uh, but a little better than the, the NASDAQ and the Russell uh, 2000. But you know, when gold had that midday sell-off or early morning sell-off, Gold stocks got hammered. I mean, a lot of these stocks went down 4 and 5%. I mean, the market is so ready to throw these stocks out the minute there's any downtick in the price of gold. Because again, these traders are so worried that the gold price is going to crash. They haven't noticed the fact that it's in a bull market and keeps making new highs. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But I think we're going to gap above uh, the uh, 1690 level on Monday morning. And maybe there'll be a lot of buy stops uh, putting people into the market or maybe there'll be some short covering or maybe you'll get some brokerage firms that might even recommend uh, some of these buy stocks. I mean, perish the thought, right, that a brokerage firm come out and actually say buy a gold stock. But who knows? Maybe that'll happen because I can't think of any business right now other than maybe those that sell, you know, surgical supplies, you know, masks or cleansers or something like that. But companies where their business uh, model is improving so much, especially if you throw in the reduction in the mining costs. Look what happened to crude oil today. Crude dropped by better than 10%, $4.38 drop, $41.52. We're almost now with a 39 handle, right? On, on crude, we're getting close to getting to $40 a barrel. Oil stocks getting beaten up again. You know, the biggest decliner that I saw of the majors was Occidental Petroleum. This stock is now down 60%. It was at 68.83 as the 52-week high. It closed down just under 15% today at 26.86. And the reason Oxy is uh, particularly weak is because they have a lot of debt and people are worried that maybe they can't pay it uh, in this environment. And I'm gonna get to the debt problem in a minute, but let me just finish up on the gold miners. So oil prices are plunging and oil is a major component. Energy, uh, you use a lot of energy when you're mining uh, for gold. And so the extent that oil is this cheap relative to gold that's almost 1,700 an ounce, 
uh, these uh, mining companies are gonna be making tremendous amounts of money. Uh, their businesses are booming. Uh, other companies, I think, are gonna be in trouble, which is what the plunging oil price is telling you. You know, OPEC tried to have an agreement to cut production, but they couldn't get the Russians on board. But the reason they need to cut production is because demand is collapsing as the global economy is moving into recession. That's also why these yields are plunging. But if we're gonna be in recession, the stock market has to come down too because the stock market was priced for big earnings growth, which it's not going to get. And as I've been saying, if we go into recession, the odds of Trump winning re-election are very slim. And a lot of people attribute the gains in the stock market to Trump, to deregulation and tax cuts. And if Trump isn't the president, if we have higher taxes under Biden and more regulation, that should be bearish and that should be priced into stock. So we still have a ways to go down on stocks. Uh, but these gold stocks, I mean, their business models uh, look perfect. You know, the, pro the value of what they're mining is going up and the cost of mining it is going down. So profits are going up and they can pay more dividends or they can buy back stock. Uh, so these stocks, again, should be bought. This is another gift toss course buying opportunity again today. And I'm glad to see we're getting some money. Clients I'm noticing are sending more money in. They're putting more money into the gold fund. And that's exactly what they should be doing. Just so long as it's money you could afford to lose uh, in the event that I'm wrong uh, on my feeling on gold stocks. But to the extent that I'm right, I think the upside potential uh, is, is so outweighs the downside risk that it's a bet that anybody who wants to gamble should definitely be making. But of course, if you don't want to gamble, just play it safe and buy gold itself, right? Gold is the ultimate in safety. Uh, does that mean it can never go down? Of course not. But over time, your purchasing power is far safer if you entrust it to gold than to any of these fiat currencies. Even the best fiat currencies in the world can't hold a candle uh, to real money gold. But I want to get back to the, the problem that I mentioned because I really have to stress this. The rates, after you account for hedging, if the rates on U.S. Treasuries are really the lowest sovereign yields in the world, how is the United States going to function? If we have all these deficits that have to be financed externally, yet we're offering foreign creditors the lowest yields, why would they buy? Why would they loan us the money? And the answer is they won't. And you know, so how do we finance these debts? There's only one way, and that's the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is going to have to monetize it. The Federal Reserve is going to have to crank up the printing presses like never before. And in fact, I looked at the balance sheet. We got the numbers yesterday afternoon. I, I forgot to mention them on the podcast I did yesterday. But in the prior week, the Fed's balance sheet rose by $82.9 in one week. Now, if you remember, when we were doing QE3, the Fed was doing $80 billion a month. Well, we just did a whole month's worth of QE in a week. And my guess is that this week, the number is going to be much bigger. And in fact, I hadn't noticed this until my son Spencer pointed it out. But the Fed's balance sheet now contains over $2.5 worth of U.S. Treasuries. This is an all-time high, and this is the first time in its history that the Federal Reserve has held that much in U.S. Treasuries. Now, the balance sheet has been higher, but that's because the Fed had more mortgage-backed securities as not as many Treasuries. Well, what they've been doing recently is buying more Treasuries. 
to artificially suppress the yields. And they're going to have to continue to buy them uh, to finance the fiscal stimulus that everybody says that we need, but also to buy all the treasuries that the rest of the world is going to unload because they can't be hedged. And if you look at the chart for the U.S. dollar, the U.S. dollar has a long way to fall. There is absolutely no way any conservative investor in Europe or Japan could buy U.S. treasuries looking at that chart and not hedging the currency risk. But the minute you hedge the currency risk, you destroy all the yield on the treasury. So you might as well just buy the JGBs. You might as well just buy the buns, right? So this is a major, major problem that no one is talking about. You have the world's largest debtor that depends on external financing that is offering the lowest sovereign rates in the world. You just can't be. This is a crisis in the making. The Fed is going to be the buyer of only resort. And, you know, not only are they going to have to buy up all these bonds, but according to uh, a Boston Fed President Rosengrant, he came out today and he said that they need to expand what the Fed is allowed to buy so they can buy other types of assets, basically buy stocks. So this guy wants the Fed to start buying U.S. stocks because they says, hey, we're running out of things to buy. We have to print more money. We have to buy more stuff. Well, you know what? They're never going to run out of bonds because the deficit is going to explode. There's going to be so many bonds to buy. They're not going to have to worry about that. But of course, the last thing that we'd want to do is empower the Federal Reserve uh, to buy stocks. I mean, first of all, we would have to change the Federal Reserve Act to to allow that, I think. But who knows? I mean, maybe they'll find some way around that. But look, you don't want to do that. You don't want the government to start buying up uh, private property, buying up the means of production, right? I mean, that's nationalization. That's like a backdoor into socialism. You know, if we let the Federal Reserve print money and buy stuff, they can print all the money and buy everything, right? It's like, you know, we don't even need a communist revolution. We just have the Fed you know, just secretly buy everything up. And then what, what's the Fed going to do when it owns all these businesses, right? I guess we could put AOC in charge and she could run everything and we'll live in this worker's paradise. Look, you never want to let your central banks, I know there are some central banks uh, that are buying and I think these central banks are making a mistake. They should not be doing that. Uh, but, you know, I also don't like central banks buying government bonds. I mean, if a central bank is going to buy bonds, it should be buying bonds of governments of other countries, not of its own country. So you don't want your central bank uh, monetizing your own government debt and enabling and encouraging that debt. What would be better is if the Fed just bought German government bonds or Japanese government bonds. And if the ECB you know, wasn't allowed to buy any bonds of any of the countries within the EU, it had to go buy treasuries or it had to go buy Uh, JGBs. That would be a more honest way of doing it. But of course, that's not what politicians want. They want to use these central banks as a way to be Santa Claus. They want to be able to provide something for nothing. Uh, They want to be able to spend more than they tax, and they want the central banks to finance the difference. But since America is in this unique position of being the world's biggest debtor and having to rely so heavily on foreigners, we are now at a point where it's really game over. And it's amazing how few people realize that, how few people understand. You know, I was watching on television A and people are saying, you know, they're pricing in the worst case scenario. No, they're not even close to pricing in the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is a dollar crash, right? And what happens when the dollar crashes? Well, the bond market's going to crash too. The treasury market's going to crash. And when the treasury market crashes, the corporate market crashes. And by the way, 
corporate bonds had one of their worst days on record today. It was a bloodbath. The spreads were blowing out because people are worried now about bankruptcies in these companies because of all the debt. And I think that's also kind of fueling the move into treasuries is it's just a spread because they're buying treasuries to hedge or people are in there seeing uh, the corporate yields going up. Uh, so there's real turmoil. I mean, the financial conditions are tighter than ever. That's another reason, unfortunately, that the Fed is gonna come to the rescue with more rate cuts. But this is how the financial crisis starts. And if you remember back in 2008 or even earlier, when things started to fall apart, all the same people that are telling us we're overreacting, there's nothing to worry about, they were saying the same stuff back then. You know, right up until you finally got the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns. And by the way, look at what's happening to the financials. That's another index. The uh, XLF, which is the uh, Spider Financial Index, that was down 3.5%, 3.4%. It was down about 5% before that last-minute rally, uh, but it made new lows, right? Another new low on the move. Uh, like the, the Russell 2000 and NASDAQ. I mean, the financials are just getting obliterated. And why are the financials so weak? Well, there are two factors that are weighing down the financials. One is the collapse in interest rates, right? Because interest rates are lower, they're gonna make less money. If they originate a loan, the yields are lower. I mean, part of the story for the financials was, hey, interest rates are normalizing and that's gonna be great for the banks. Well, one of the reasons I never bought the financials. I wasn't just underweight financials, I had zero weight financials. And one of the reasons I did that was because I knew the Fed was not gonna be able to normalize rates, that they would have to give up before they got there. And so I knew that the banks were not gonna to get to the promised land of normal rates and these higher profits. So that was one reason. But the other reason, and the other thing that's weighing on the banks is the credit risk. Because now, not only are banks going to make less money on new loans, but they may not even get paid back on the loans they've already made. Because a lot of the loans may end up in default. That is the problem. And the collateral, right, is going to start falling in value too. So it's solvency. It's credit issues. That is what is plaguing the banks, which is why maybe the Federal Reserve is getting ready for another bailout. Except it may not just be the banks. I mean, who knows? They may bail out the airlines or all sorts of companies uh, that have too much debt. But again, why do they have too much debt? Because of the Fed. If it wasn't for the Fed, they wouldn't have all this debt, right? We would have pared back the debt decades ago. It's only because of the Fed and all the stimulus of the past that we're in so much trouble in the present and why they're going to repeat the mistakes of the future. But nobody who is analyzing or talking about what's going on Nobody in the mainstream is even considering uh, the, the aspects of this that I am discussing here on this podcast. Nobody is considering that we could see a precipitous decline in the value of the dollar. Nobody is talking about how the Fed may lose control of interest rates and how interest rates may end up rising instead of falling. You know, the, the markets are pricing in recession and they're correct to do that. We are headed to recession. But what the markets are missing is the stagflationary aspects of this recession because they assume that this recession is gonna be just like the last recessions where uh, the dollar is strong, so commodity prices go down and interest rates go down. But if it's different, 
if this time the dollar falls and it falls precipitously, and that's what it looks like it's going to do, then it's a whole different ball game. See, the oil market's got this wrong. It's going down now because of the reduction in demand that everybody believes is coming from a recession. But if the dollar collapses, that is going to put pressure, upward pressure back on oil prices. It's gonna put upward pressure back on all commodity prices. And when the dollar really starts to fall, it's gonna put tremendous upward pressure on interest rates across the board in the United States. So yes, we may be getting lower bond yields now and lower oil prices now, but this recession can be one where we have higher oil prices and higher interest rates like we had in the 1970s, except it's gonna be much worse because the US economy is in much worse shape now than it was entering that decade. And we're gonna try even crazier policies that are likely to make the situation much, much worse. And I don't see a Ronald Reagan and a Paul Volcker uh, waiting in the rings uh, to try to you know, undo some of the damage and restore confidence in the dollar. I see an AOC out there and modern monetary theory. In any event, I wanna just finish up uh, this podcast talking a little bit again uh, about the accounts at Europe Pacific Capital because I want everybody who has an account with me who's listening to this podcast just to make sure that your, your account is invested the way you want because I talked to a client the other day who uh, thought that she was invested in my strategy but then when I looked at her account she really wasn't in my strategy. She had a couple of gold stocks or a gold stock and a silver stock but she really had a lot of biotech stocks uh, and in the US and, and that's not my strategy. So people need to make sure because your Pacific Capital, I mean, I don't own the BD anymore, but I mean, I used to, uh, but just because you have an account with me, it doesn't mean that you're following my strategy. You have to make sure that the representative that you're working with knows that you want to follow my strategy because you know we can we can buy us stocks for people we can you know we can do anything people want i mean we have to make recommendations uh that are suitable to the clients based on what they tell us they're looking for what their objectives are what they want to do i mean we have clients that buy us stocks with me i mean because first of all some of our clients or you know my clients want to allocate a certain percentage of their portfolio uh, to international investing or gold stocks, but they still want to invest some of their money domestically. And some people do that at their other broker, but some people do that through me. I mean, we have clients that buy U.S. stocks and bonds through us, mostly stocks, right? I mean, we are a broker dealer and, you know, we can buy any stock that, that trades in the United States. And our brokers, you know, our brokers have ideas. I mean, people want recommendations. We're able to give them recommendations about U.S. stocks, but you have to make sure that if you have a portfolio that's got a lot of U.S. stocks in it, chances are you're not following my investment advice. I mean, this particular client had a lot of biotech stocks. I personally, I wouldn't buy any of those stocks. I mean, I don't want to take that kind of risk. I'd rather take the risk in the mining sector. If I'm going to take a risk, that's the risk I want to take. I don't want to be in biotech, but some people might want to do that. And if you want to do that, then you could have some of those stocks in your portfolio. But don't be confused and think that you're following the Peter Schiff investment strategy if you've got a bunch of NASDAQ stocks in your portfolio, right? You're not doing that. And so if, if that's what you want, that's fine. But if it's not, you need to make sure. So if anybody has any questions, right? If you look at your account statement, if you're not sure if you're following my strategy, you know, when you call up, just ask to talk to me and I'll take a look at your account. But in general, 
If you own my mutual funds, I have five mutual funds, then I'm managing your money. You're following my strategy. If you're in one of our separately managed accounts that starts with EP8, you're gonna be in the value strategy or the dividend payer strategy, you're in my strategy. But if you have a brokerage account uh, that's not managed, you know, and you, you have a lot of US stocks in there, then chances are you're not following my strategy. If that's what you want, that's fine. But if you wanna be following my strategy, we need to make those changes so that you, that you have the strategy that you want. You know, and one of the things that I did in our managed accounts that I mentioned is that we put zero weighting to financials. And that hurt me, right? If people look at my track record uh, over the past five years, they say, hey, you know, you, your funds aren't doing well. That's because we didn't have any financials. But because we don't have any financials, we're doing great now because we're not getting killed. And what we own instead of financials are gold stocks. That's kind of one of the allocation shifts. I decided, hey, I don't want any financials. I'm gonna bet on gold instead of the banking system and sell, I'll buy gold stocks. And obviously for several years, having gold stocks and not financials hurt me as gold stocks were going down and financials were going up. But I knew eventually I'd get even and then ahead of the game as the bubble in financials popped and gold stocks went up. Now I still think the lion's share of that trade has yet to play out, particularly when it comes to the upside of, of gold stocks. So I wanna make sure that anybody who has an account at Europe Pacific who wants to follow my strategy, make sure that you're doing it. I don't want any surprises, you know, a year later people say, hey, I thought I was following your strategy and it turns out that they weren't. So just check, make sure, and if you're, and if you're unsure, uh, then I can always review your account and, and see if it's if it's something that I would recommend, or if you're you know just doing something that I wouldn't recommend, and and maybe you're you know taking the advice of a broker based on a miscommunication as to the type of uh, investments that you wanted to make. Also, the same thing applies for my bank. You know, there are a lot of people, inter foreign people. We don't take American citizens yet at Europe Pacific Bank, uh, but we have a lot of accounts for people in I don't know 120 countries around the world. And there are people though that have accounts at my bank that have managed accounts for investment, right? Because you can open up a brokerage account, uh, which is kind of like an offshoot of your bank account. And there you have access, you could trade stocks, bonds, commodities, foreign exchange. We also have some proprietary mutual funds and some accounts, but I don't personally manage any of those funds or any of those accounts for the bank. I own the bank, but I am not involved in the asset management at the bank. Where I am involved in asset management is at Europe Pacific Asset Management, and that's the company that's based in Puerto Rico, although the bank is now based in Puerto Rico as well. But if you have an account at the bank and it's for banking, great. But if you want me to manage some of your money, what you need to do is move that money from your Europe Pacific bank uh, brokerage account to an account at Europe Pacific Asset Management. And so you can go to the, the Europe Pacific Asset Management website, which is europepacificfunds.com, and you can give us a call and we can you know get you the paperwork to transfer an account. And of course you can transfer it from anywhere. And this is for people who do not live in the United States, right? Because the accounts that we're running at Europe Pacific Asset Management in Puerto Rico, the accounts that are there directly are for people who live outside the United States, people who, work, who live in the United States are working with me through Europe Pacific Capital, which is a division of Alliance Global Partners. And that company is still based out of Connecticut. 
Uh, but for people who are outside the United States, and by the way, for those of you who live in Canada, who have been waiting and waiting and waiting, they're finally telling me we're almost there. Just one more thing I got to do. Supposedly, it won't take that long. So maybe by the end of this month, got my fingers crossed, uh, we'll be up and board in Canada and we'll finally be able to take accounts directly uh, from Canadians uh, who will be able to be in my managed accounts the, the mutual funds will not quite be ready other than the RAP program, uh, but we have to start uh, setting up feeder funds so the Canadians can buy them in their Canadian brokerage account, discount brokerage accounts. And I think the very first fund that I'm going to have a Canadian feeder for is going to be my gold fund. Eventually, I'll roll them out for all five of my funds, but to get going based on the urgency and how much upside I think there is in gold stocks right now, uh, my number one priority is to get the feeder fund set up for the gold fund so that everybody in Canada uh, can invest in my gold fund. Anyway, have a great weekend, everybody. I'm sure we're going to have a very volatile Sunday night, and I'll probably be back again with another podcast on Monday. You've probably noticed that I'm upping the frequency of these podcasts given uh, the volatility in the markets and what's going on. And so I'll try to keep them coming. I'm also keeping them a little shorter. Uh, that way I can do a little bit more of them. Oh,